It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast totally free. Just click the subscribe button and then it comes directly to your smartphone or tablet every single day. I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate patrons as well. You can become a patron by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking on the link that's at the top there. There's also, by the way, a link for the marketplace, the store that's up there so you can get your your shirt that says vaccinated, not that it's any of your business. <laughs> And uh, somebody asked me, why do you need to wear a shirt that says you're vaccinated? It's it's, it, it's a joke. It's comedy. It's conveying to somebody like, you don't need to be asking why I'm not wearing a mask. Anyway, um, the, it's all there at thepetecalendarshow.com. Patrons of the program like Kathleen, Matt, Jason, Marlene, Jenny and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, and Lisbeth, they all make the show possible by being patrons. And uh, like we do the live streams. We did one last night. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about, you know, topics, and then we also kind of um, go off down rabbit holes <laughs> for whatever, you know, whatever crosses my mind, whatever crosses your mind, and we just kind of uh, wing it. Anyway, um, so a couple uh, topics to get to. First off, I understand a lot of people don't really care about the journalism school at UNC Chapel Hill. I get it. And to a large extent, uh, this story is really all about the elite journalists and the navel gazing and academia. Um, but uh, there is uh, there there is, I think, uh, a matter of more widespread importance and interest, which is uh, that the person at the heart of this debate is the founder, the creator, the fabulist of the 1619 project. Yeah, Nicole Hannah Jones. And so uh, I think it has some relevance given all of the discussions about critical race theory and anti-racism and the like, um, and also, you know, journalism and what is truth and all of that. Um, but first, Attorney General Josh Stein uh, participated in a press conference the other day. Here's how WRAL headlined it. About half of North Carolina's rape kit backlog sits unexamined, so Stein requests more funding. And it's always interesting to me as to who gets the top billing in these stories. Uh, is it the attorney general or is it the General Assembly, specifically the Republicans? And look, I uh, I am generally of the philosophy that if, you know, it's amazing how much you can get accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit. Um, it's just it does. I feel the need to point out that so oftentimes it's only Democrats that ever get the credit. <laughs> They're the ones that uh, the media holds up as worthy of the credit and the Republicans who uh, did the thing as well or uh, solely, they don't get the credit. I, I do take note of that. So Attorney General Josh Stein said that about one-fifth of North Carolina's backlog of untested sexual assault evidence kits has been tested. He participated in this news conference with state lawmakers, as well as a woman named Ms. Linda. She is an assault survivor. The Survivor Act has been instrumental in the healing of victims and to survivors. It has been a phenomenal success in clearing cold cases. We must be vigilant as we strive to protect the rights of victims. We should not ever allow rape kits to sit untested. Do not shell human beings. 
we must protect the integrity of all rape kits. Each kit matters. Rape kits contain crucial evidence needed to send a predator to prison. Now, State Senator Warren Daniel organized this press conference, and he said for too many victims, justice never comes. Uh, Less than a quarter of those who are charged with sexual assault are ever actually convicted. In 2016, members of the General Assembly were approached concerning a backlog of sexual assault evidence collection kits, often called rape kits, that had accumulated under the leadership of then-Attorney General Roy Cooper. When When a rape kit sits on the shelves and aren't tested for DNA, survivors don't get to see justice. We knew we had to do something. So in 2017, the General Assembly directed local law enforcement agencies and the Department of Justice to conduct an audit of how many kits were sitting untested across the state. The results were shocking. More than 15,000 kits were untested and had accumulated under A.G. Cooper's leadership. 15,000. That amount is staggering and should never have been allowed to happen. This wasn't the first time our state was making headlines for having a rape kit backlog under A.G. Cooper. But in in the the General Assembly, in cooperation with Attorney General Stein, determined that this would be the last time that it happened. We knew our Department of Justice could not continue to ignore the problem and utter hollow promises to never forget those rape victims who need to have their kits tested. As it is often said, justice delayed is justice denied. So, yeah, kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> Democrat Attorney General Josh Stein standing right there as Senator Daniel lays the blame for the untested rape kit backlog right at the feet of now Governor Cooper. And I mean, I guess it makes some bit of sense. You got Attorney General Stein wanting to run for governor. Roy Cooper, the current incumbent, right? He is term limited. He's not going to be able to run for another term as governor. And Attorney General Stein wants this issue to go away, and he wants to be the guy that solved the problem. And if he can work with the Republicans, he can then, you know, puff up his bona fides as a bipartisan actor, not just a a partisan hack. Like, look at me. I work with Republicans and we, you know, did this really good thing. And look, this is a really good thing. It needs to happen. In fact, we were told it already happened. Right. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when we were told that the backlog had already been clear. Um, and then that wasn't the case. Uh, that was Governor Cooper that told us that, uh, this, this issue also raised problems for, uh, Stein in his last reelection campaign in 2020. Um, you'll recall, and I did a a show on this, um, you know, he went after his Republican challenger, who was a, a district attorney and he faulted the debt DA for the local backlog in kits and the DA, had the highest clearance rate for sex assault cases in the state. The backlog was due to the state crime lab, not the DA's office. I mean, the the district attorney does not have control over how quickly these kits can be tested, right? This is the state crime lab. And and this is what the General Assembly did. They said, okay, obviously the crime lab cannot keep up with this, so we're going to uh, allocate a ton of money. And we're going to uh, send these kits out to private vendors to have them do the testing so we can get them back. Um, Again, Governor Cooper was supposed to have cleared the backlog. That's what he told us he had done in 2016 when he ran against Pat McCrory. And he was claiming that he eliminated the backlog, which was obviously 
false, right? We could all agree at this point now that it was false, considering that the audit that was conducted a year after he won found 15, 16,000 rape kits untested. So yes, we can all agree that that was not true. Since learning the magnitude of the backlog, the General Assembly and the Department of Justice have made strides not only to fund rape kit testing, but also to put in place measures to ensure those kits that need to be tested are tested. In 2019, the General Assembly provided millions of dollars to reduce the backlog and passed the Survivor Act, which required all sexual assault evidence kits to be reported to law enforcement within 24 hours. That report would then start the clock for law enforcement agency to begin investigating the assault and to submit their kit for testing. It also required testing of all rape kits for DNA, and that piece is absolutely critical. Since the state started testing the backlog rape kits that were languishing on our shelves, our law enforcement officers and DAs have been able to bring long-awaited justice to many sexual assault survivors across North Carolina, as Attorney General Stein will highlight in his remarks. It's one thing to promise to never forget the survivors of sexual assault, but it's another thing to act on that promise. All right. And now we're going to hear from Attorney General Josh Stein. First, actually, uh, you're, you're going to hear a little bit about general equipment rental, just a little bit, uh, like how they are specialists in Honda and Husqvarna outdoor power equipment. And that means not only do they know the great deals that you can get on the equipment from the manufacturers, and they can obviously hook you up with those, um, but they also know the differences between the various models, uh, the differences from year to year right? Improvements that get made. They know, okay, well, if you got a, this you got this size yard and what are you looking for uh, as far as power equipment? Do you need gas power? Do you need battery powered? Is the tool the right tool for the job? It really is the question you should be asking on all of the stuff, whether you're buying power tools for the yard work or uh, you're renting equipment from them. Um, and they're going to show you how to use it. And they're going to help direct you to the right job, uh, the right tool for the job that you're trying to get done. So many times people just have the wrong tool and they may not even know it. And it just makes the project go much uh, more slowly and you mess up. It, it, it's not it's not ideal. So go get some advice and get the right tools, the right equipment from General Equipment Rental, family owned and operated. It's a great operation over there in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Um, they've got tons of uh, financing options available as well when you're looking to purchase uh, some of the larger pieces. They can work with you on that. Go to their website, generalrents.com. You can see all the inventory. You can see all the deals, the financing uh, availability that's there. Generalrents.com, General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, and think outside your toolbox. So more than half of the untested sexual assault kits or rape kits um, recently accounted for in law enforcement evidence lockers across North Carolina have now been tested or are awaiting lab test results, according to Attorney General Josh Stein, who participated uh, in this news conference uh, earlier in the week. Everyone here wants to send three messages to the victims like Ms. Linda. We want them to know that we care about what happened to them, and that we will do everything in our power to deliver justice for them. To the rapists and criminals, no matter how long ago you committed your crime, we will not stop coming for you. And to the public, to the people across this state, we care profoundly about your safety and will take steps necessary to make your communities safer. I want to take a moment to take stock of where we are. 
Our inventory of backlog uncovered a total of more than 16,000, 16,190 to be precise, older kits in the custody of law enforcement. There are many reasons for why this backlog developed. Law enforcement didn't send it to the lab. The lab didn't have the technology that it has today. The legislature didn't fund it. We didn't know what the scope of the problem was until the legislature took action to order local law enforcement to do a count. Local district attorneys didn't reach out to their law enforcement to move the backlog. <laughs> but it really is less important of how we got here today uh -huh. than our commitment to move forward and ensure that a backlog like this never develops in North Carolina again. Okay, I agree. I just, I notice the shot he takes. So again, like he's, he takes the shot. That's a, that, that's an echo of his campaign. That was an echo of uh, his attack on his Republican challenger, that district attorney. And, and what does he say there? That district attorneys didn't reach out to law enforcement to move the backlog. What does that even mean? To move the backlog. They didn't reach out to move the backlog. The law enforcement agencies, all right, that's on them to send them off for testing like so what so you're blaming the district attorney for the backlog at the state crime lab or the law enforcement agencies anyway it just i find it to be it was petty uh and he doesn't mention the governor you know he's like well look, there's a lot of people that are blamed it's not just cooper <laughs> right? that's what he's essentially saying it's not just cooper without saying it's not just cooper he wasn't really to blame we didn't even know the how big the problem was you know, thank goodness we did this audit um, or else we would not have known. But, hey, the reason why they did the audit, the reason why the General Assembly ordered the audit to be done to find out how many of these kits there actually are is because Cooper didn't do it. That's precisely why the General Assembly acted was because the former attorney general who ran his 2016 campaign on this um, uh, this uh, message that he had cleared the backlog when that was not true at all. The General Assembly said, let's let's get to the bottom of this. Let's find out exactly <laughs> how many of these kits are actually outstanding. Uh, Stein then said they have now completed testing on 3,000 of those 16,000 kits. Uh, they have another 5,000 in process, he says. Of the ones that we've tested, 1,055 include samples that can be uploaded into the national database, CODIS. Of those, nearly half, 470, had a hit to either an individual or to a suspect in another sexual assault. 75% of those were to a known individual. That means that law enforcement now has an incredibly hot lead to solve a cold case, some of which had been unsolved for 20 or 30 years. And thanks to this effort, local law enforcement is getting to work. We know of at least 40 arrests that were accounted for 58 sexual assaults in the last year or two. So 40 arrests accounting for almost 60 assaults. This is... This is good. This is great news. This is where we needed to be years ago. There are challenges, though, now, just as North Carolina is going through this process. Attorney General Stein says so to our other states. And that has put a lot of pressure on the vendor labs. The cost of testing a kit has increased from seven hundred dollars 
to $1,245. That's an increase of more than 75%. And it's the reason why we are requesting that the General Assembly appropriate an additional $9 million in one-time funding so we can outsource all of the remaining kits. At the same time, thanks to the Survivor Act that these folks passed in the last session, law enforcement has more than doubled its annual submissions to the state crime lab. In 2018-19, there were 821 kits submitted. In 2019-20, we received 1,853. That is an increase of 125%. And that is a good thing yeah. because it means we do not have a backlog and we will be giving respect to each one of those victims because, as Ms. Linda said, each kit comes from a person who suffered a terrible trauma and then willingly provided evidence, went through an invasive examination of hours to deliver evidence to the criminal justice system. We owe it to them to test their kits. Yes. Uh, again, bipartisan, everybody agrees with this. But you hear the challenge is that all like North Carolina, along with all these other states, they are now trying to get all of their kits tested because the technology has now become such that they've got evidence that are in, you know, these you know, boxes and lockers or whatever. And they're like, hey, let's go through the cold cases. Meanwhile, you've got to keep up with all of your current cases as they come in. Right. So you're investigating those. But then you're also trying to investigate all of these old cases. So you, it's a tedious process. It's it's clerical. It's administrative. But you got to go through and pull these things out. And you got to send them off to these labs. Well, the labs now are getting inundated with all of these samples. Have to do all these tests, and the price has almost doubled. Um, and you've got the number of police departments in North Carolina. That number has doubled. The number of uh, departments that have, are sending them in, like they're sending in way more stuff. So they need more money. He's asking for more money, and that was really the purpose of this press conference, um, was to highlight the need for uh, the extra money. He's asking for uh, $6 million. Um, I'm sorry, that was the original ask. $6 million was originally put towards testing of the old kits. Now, uh, because the private company that the state has contracted with increased their prices, uh, Attorney General Stein says $9 million is necessary to get all of the remaining tests processed by May of 2023. He also wants to hire more scientists, um, some that would work in other areas, but he wants more state crime lab scientists to specifically do these uh, rape kits so they never fall behind again. He wants additional funding so they can hire six additional scientists. They would specialize only in DNA testing. Um, so so as to avoid uh, another backlog. Senator Daniels said lawmakers are also looking at uh, time-saving measures that they could implement for the crime lab scientists so they can spend more time testing, like uh, things like allowing them to testify at trials, do it remotely rather than in person in the courthouses. So this way they can just kind of log in, you know, say, hey, here's the stuff, you got it all, and then, like, is that a time-saver for them? It might be. Um all of this is to say, according to Stein, hopefully that, you know, this solves the problem. Our hope is in the future we never need to outsource kits again because what we want to do and what the legislature did with the Survivor Act was they said going forward, law enforcement within 45 days of reported sexual assault shall automatically send the kit for testing to an accredited crime lab, which nine times out of ten is the state crime lab. And so if we can ensure that we never have another backlog, then we won't have to outsource any more kits. Right. Stein also said, according to WRAL, that, quote, he is open to requiring all major hospitals in the state to have sexual assault nurse examiners 
the specialized nurses who conduct these physical exams, they gather evidence to be tested. They would be on staff. There's no organization or agency in the state that is formally tracking where those nurses work or how many there even are. So that's where we stand on that as the Survivor Act and uh, expect to see more funding come down the pike for that because I really doubt anybody is going to take the position. No, let's not test the rape kits. <laughs> just don't think just ethically it's a terrible position, but also um, politically a terrible position to try to adopt. Uh, here's something you should adopt. Old Grouch's military surplus adopted as your source for real U.S. military uh, surplus. Uh, first aid kits, camp stoves backpacks, ammo cans, gun accessories. He's got so much stuff. He has a, he's got a whole collection of maps. These things are so cool. You're looking for a unique piece of wall art. You can get maps from military campaigns. The actual maps. He's got a whole um a whole shelf of them. It's amazing. They're they're like you can go back and look at these things and like some of them have markings on them and stuff. Uh, so go down to Old Grouch's Military Surpluses on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and uh, it's online 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. All right. So shifting gears now over to UNC Chapel Hill, where uh, there's a. Uh, position that was offered and apparently accepted by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones is the creator of the 1619 Project for the New York Times Magazine. And uh, there is a grant-funded position. uh, These are called, it's uh, the Knight Chair, they call it, the K-N-I-G-H-T Knight. And for folks who have been in North Carolina for, uh, you know, well, probably the last, I, I don't know when they got sold, but remember Knight Ritter, the media company? Um, they got. I think they got swallowed up by USA Today. I think that's where that went, right? Knight Ritter, or maybe it was McClatchy, because Knight Ritter was, um, yeah, that was the Charlotte Observer. Maybe McClatchy bought him. Um, but that was the big media company. And so the Knight folks created um, these chairs for journalism in various colleges around the country, and it's funded privately, okay? Um and so they wanted to give this, and they did. They 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 gave this position to Nicole Hannah Jones at UNC, and this was announced. I want to say it was like two weeks ago. And I pulled the story. I had the press release, and I was going to mention it. But I mean, honestly, aside from people who are in the world of journalism, or uh, academia, or into the critical race theory stuff, a lot of people don't really pay attention to this stuff. Most, the vast majority of people have no interest in this story. I fully recognize that. But it does have a connection because um, it is a public university, first of all, but it is also an interesting mindset. It's a window into the thinking of the people who inform us. And that is really important, I think. So in her career, by the way, this is a story that appeared at NC Policy Watch. So NC Policy Watch is the house organ, the PR firm. <laughs> it's a well, it's the website, it's the publication for uh, the left-wing organizations. NC Policy Watch uh, was it the Progressive Pulse is there, and like the Budget and Tax Center, and it's like this little this this constellation of leftist groups that are funded with all of the uh, you know the trust fund money from the uh, the tobacco companies and media companies of of yesteryear. Okay, um, in her career in journalism, this is the story by and uh, gosh, I don't have his name, Kyle something or other. He's a I believe he was the intern 
<laughs> but uh, I think he's a student over at UNC. Anyway, uh, in her career in journalism, Nicole Hannah-Jones has been awarded the Pulitzer Prize and a MacArthur Fellowship Genius Grant, which, by the way, for folks who aren't aware of what the Genius Grants are, it's just a bunch of money they give to people. Yeah, it's like, hey, we think you're smart. Here's $100,000. Literally, that's that that's what they do. Um, but despite support from the UNC, and don't tell me that that's not a political thing, right? Don't tell me that that is not straight up virtue signaling. It's like, hey, we really appreciate this work that you did. We think it's so fantastic. And so here's a little something, something for the effort. You don't have to, you don't have to toil away and worry about uh, how you're going to afford, you know, your apartment on the Upper East Side. How about you just take this money? Um, Despite support, though, from UNC Chapel Hill Chancellor and faculty, she will not be getting a tenured teaching position at her alma mater, at least not yet. Obviously, we all know why, right? It's racism. As Policy Watch reported last week, UNC Chapel Hill's Hussman School of Journalism and Media pursued Hannah Jones for its night chair in race and investigative journalism. So this was the position that they created, the night chair in race and investigative journalism. Okay, almost like it was specifically meant for her. It's a tenured professorship. But following political pressure from conservatives who objected to her work on the 1619 Project for the New York Times Magazine, the school changed its plan to offer her tenure, which amounts to a career-long appointment. Instead, she will start July 1 for a fi- So she agreed to this. She, she agreed to start July 1 for a fixed five-year term as Professor of the Practice. That's the title, Professor of the Practice, with the option of being reviewed for tenure at the end of that time period. So, practically speaking here, what's the difference? Like, seriously. Like, well, she doesn't have the protection of tenure. Like, oh my gosh, my heart weeps. Look, I work in radio. I have zero, absolutely zero sympathy for people who demand lifelong protection so they can say whatever they want, Okay. For real, like doing what I do and have done for 20 years, you know, like I I have no empathy, no sympathy for people who demand to have protection for life so they can say whatever they want. <laughs> I think um, I think I understand the reason for it. Like we're doing critical work. It's important work and we need to have the academic freedom to pursue it. Yeah. OK, tell that to the conservatives in higher education that get run out of their jobs because uh, they challenge the left-wing orthodoxy. They challenge the, uh, uh, you know, the the high order of the elects. That's what uh, John McWhorter calls them, the elects. Anyway, as Policy Watch reported all of this, conservatives, uh, they, they were very upset. They object to her work on the 1619 Project. It, look, hey, it's not that conservatives object to her work. It's that they find it to be shoddy and erroneous. And it is. It was. It has been. And she's also kind of childish when it comes to criticism. I've got the stories here. We're going to get into this because this is the person now that they have appointed to teach all of the young skulls of mush, as Rush Limbaugh used to call them, right, uh, that come into the journalism courses. She's going to teach them how to report on race. I think that's pretty important because coming out of UNC Chapel Hill, like, 
that's the I'm from Chapel Hill is this whole cult, you know, that everybody went to went to Chapel Hill journalism school. They're very proud of the fact I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but it's a whole thing. I did not go to UNC Chapel Hill journalism school. I know a lot of people who have some are good. Some are not so good, just like anything else. Right. Just like anything else. Um it's disappointing, said Susan King, the dean of UNC's Hussman uh, School. Uh, it's not what we wanted, and I'm afraid it will have a chilling effect. <clears throat> By the way, I've seen people refer to this as uh, canceling, that, oh, the conservatives are canceling Nicole Hannah-Jones. They're not canceling her. She got a job. Canceling is the opposite. Canceling is when you lose your job because of your positions or research you've done, right? That's what cancellation looks like. It's when you do some studies that present or find some uncomfortable results and you get canceled. Your your pieces get taken down off of research websites and such. They get You get blacklisted in the higher uh, academic halls and such. You, you get cast aside, uh, cast aside. That's cancellation. Right. Where you cannot work any longer. Cancellation is not, hey, we're going to give you five years contract. So you're, you're the term is for five years. So you're good for five years. Like unless they fire her for cause or something like unless she does something that, uh, you know, breaks some code of ethics or violates some of the the, uh, the rules of conduct or something on the campus. Like she's she said. And then in five years, you get your tenure. So like the practical difference here is minimal, but oh my gosh, you would think that she has just been run out of every job uh, in higher academ- academia. I keep saying higher academia, and I I, I shouldn't even say because it's not even higher. It's not. It's just it's the ivory towers, right? Like the the people that are getting turned out of these institutions are like they're really not that impressive. I'm sorry, they're like I'm not really impressed with a lot of the work that they do. I'm not. And it, it, it's it's been pretty recent, like over the, just the last decade. I've had conversations with people that graduate out of these programs, particularly the journalism programs. They don't seem particularly bright and they don't seem particularly equipped to do the job that they've uh, undertaken. I don't know who is supposed to prepare them <laughs> for doing it, but whoever it was, they failed. Look, the people that prepared me, I could name them. And... Uh, virtually all of them were liberals. Virtually all of them were liberals, but I, but, but I learned from them because they taught universally adopted and accepted practices that are not apparently so universal any longer. Um, what is universally understood is that mattress man has great mattresses at great prices and they support the local, uh, charitable organizations a lot. They're they're They do a lot of stuff for, uh, shelters and, uh, Veterans associations and stuff, veterans organizations, I should say. Uh, so if you want to help a local business that hires veterans, hires local people, and uh, they got a, you know their heart's in the right place and, and they support this show, then uh, go to Mattress Man. Buy your mattress from Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. They have four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and in Arden. Their newest one is on Airport Road. Uh, it's in the shopping center behind the IHOP there, you know, right off of... Uh, Hendersonville Road. Um, you can get a free box spring, by the way. Free box spring with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. Inspired by our very own local landmark, Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection. Its luxurious design is a blend of old world craftsmanship, new world exclusive technology, which means what? 
you get a more restorative and healthier sleep because the technology that they use to build these mattresses, like five support zones, so you get the correct spinal alignment, right? Go to Mattress Man. They also have great financing options available for all people, all kinds of credit. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. It's a great deal. Like, seriously, great deal. You sleep on the mattress like tonight. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So what happened here at UNC? It seems like there was this process that they opened up in order to get Nicole Hannah-Jones on the faculty, right? Uh, that that seems obvious to me, and I don't know for sure, but it just it seems pretty clear they have been courting her. They want her on staff, and they went out together with this um, uh, with this chair, this night chair in race and investigative journalism tenured professorship. Um, and so, according to the NC Policy Watch story, uh, she instead gets a five year contract with the option of being reviewed for tenure at the end of that time period, which. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know how this stuff works at the college level, but honestly, like, I think there should be some sort of a a, a window, right? I don't know about five years, but how do you know that you're going to fit in with the culture and all of that, you know, and your bosses and everybody? I don't know. I just, it, like, it seems like everybody's all outraged, like, you should get this position for life. How dare you not give it to them for life? It just, I don't know. I mean, just the uh, the sense of entitlement from these people like they're doing this such you know critical work we need the protection okay the 1619 project was a, this is how it's described by nc policy watch a long-form journalism undertaking that as the pulitzer center put it challenges us to reframe u.s history by marking the year when the first enslaved africans arrived on virginia's soil as our nation's foundational date which by the way slaves were actually brought here before that date but I digress. Hannah Jones, who is black, conceived of the project and was among multiple staff writers, photographers, and editors who put it all together. The project sought to spur a re-examination of how America teaches and celebrates its own history. It caused debate among academics, journalists, even within the New York Times itself. <laughs> yeah, you might say so. Um, criticisms of its accuracy by some prominent historians led to edits and clarifications. Yeah, that's a nice way. That's a euphemism right there. I'm going to get into all of this. But Hannah Jones and the Times stand by the project, the introductory essay to which won her the 2020 Pulitzer for commentary. So not journalism, but commentary. Okay. Last summer, Hannah Jones went through the rigorous tenure process at UNC. Hannah Jones submitted a package King said was well-received as, as any King had ever seen. It's one of the best ever. Hannah Jones had enthusiastic support from faculty and the tenure committee, with the process going smoothly every step of the way until it reached the UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees. Mm -hmm. The board reviews and approves tenure applications, and apparently, generally speaking, in the past, they just rubber stamp them, but not this time. 
The Knight Chairs, sponsored by the Knight Foundation, are important and influential journalists who bring their expertise to the classroom at some of the nation's most respected universities. While continuing their work in journalism, Knight Chairs offer students the perspective that they have gained through their experience in the industry. Not all Knight Chair professors are tenured. Oh, well now, isn't that interesting? So not everybody who gets this position um, throughout the nation are tenured professors, but UNC's have all been since they've started doing it back in 1980. According to the piece at Policy Watch, they've all been tenured. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is the first who is not. Let me skip to the end of the piece here. It says, um, it's again Susan King, who is the dean of the UNC Hussman School. Quote, she represents the best of our alumni. Oh, did I mention that? Yeah, she's an alum. Mm-hmm. And the best of the business, she says. This is the best of the business. Keep that in mind. She represents the best of UNC Chapel Hill alum and the best of the business, the journalism business. I don't want to get into a food fight. I want to make sure that our students have the opportunity to have someone of her caliber here and to learn from her. I think our faculty do as well. I really so this is uh, there's a bit of fanboy going on here or, or fanboy, fangirl, whatever. Like there's a bit of that. There's a bit of hero worship going on, starstruck, you want to call it. There are other terms for it I shall not name, but the, I, I suspect there's a little bit of that going on too. The people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because she used to work in media in North Carolina. What, did she work for The Observer or something? Um, so like, oh my gosh, I know her. She's famous and I know her. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like you represent what maybe one day we could all be. I realize this is... Uh, a fraught era in the state, King says. A fraught era in the state. I don't even know what that means. What do you? By, what do you mean a fraught era? Is is there like? Can you define that? She doesn't. I know. I'm just asking rhetorically. When I heard that the chancellor and the provost wanted to move this, it was better than having a battle royale about the theory of academic freedom. Okay, so they caved. So the board of trustees and the chancellor, the provost, whatever, they were like, I'll tell you what, why don't we do five years? Because these conservatives are, you know, they're just all up in our business over this. And um, and there are conservatives that are on the board of trustees. They were put there by the Republican legislature. So this is the this is the political aspect of this fight. Right. Hannah Jones was on the school's radar as a potential faculty member before the publication of the 1619 project, according to King. But the project is part of Hannah Jones's long career of reporting powerfully on race. Our job is to expose our students to the great issues of our time. This is a fraught time and a time of racial reckoning. And we want to train the Red Guard to run those struggle sessions. I'm just kidding. I made up that last part. Um, but that's, <laughs> we, need, we need to have the high priests of the elects come down and teach the next generation of how to, uh, how to administer these types of uh, inquiries. I call them inquiries, not inquisitions, because that's a loaded term. So, uh, of course, the uh, reaction from all of the other journalisming people has been swift. You had a letter that came down from the UNC Hussman faculty. More than two dozen signed this letter saying, we are stunned at the failure to award tenure um, to Nicole Hannah-Jones, a Pulitzer Prize Peabody and MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant winner and UNC Chapel Hill 2019 Distinguished Alumna, recently inducted into the North Carolina Media and Journalism Hall of Fame. 
Uh, failure to tenure Nicole Hannah-Jones in her role as the night chair in race and investigative journalism is a concerning departure from our traditional process and breaks precedent with previous tenured full professor appointments of night chairs in our school. Okay, is it possible, just spitballing here, is it possible that maybe, just maybe, it's because Hannah, uh, sorry, Nicole Hannah-Jones might be a tad bit more controversial is that possible? She's a little bit more controversial than previous appointments may have been? Is that just throwing it out there as just something to mull over? The failure to offer her tenure, they say, with her appointment unfairly moves the goalposts and violates longstanding norms and established processes related to tenure and promotion. The two immediately preceding night chairs in our school received tenure upon appointment. The university counts among its ranks of tenured faculty, many leading professionals with distinguished work in their fields. I would submit that the people who are writing this don't have any understanding of the criticisms from, quote, the other side. This is sort of a group think. That's what this strikes me as. That all of the people that sign this letter don't even see. It's like it's a big blind spot for them. Like, what are you talking about? Why, why would you think she shouldn't get it? Is there a legitimate reason? I can't think of one. Well, actually, a lot of people can think of many. Look, I mean, you, you can do what you want with this money. And as far as I understand, these grants are private, uh, privately funded, and so it's not taxpayer money. So I really don't care because it's not my tax dollars funding her, you know, position in academia. Um, and if the, you know, the the dying newspaper industry wants to shower a bunch of money on somebody like her to to have a, you know, a, a lifetime gig so she can continue training the next round of uh, Red Guards, fine, you know, whatever. Um, but there are people that oversee this system that have a different opinion about things and they may not necessarily agree with you on all these on all these things and so yeah they've registered their opposition and they've said no you're not getting the tenure now give it five years we'll see how you do what are you going to use this position for and by the way considering her body of work i think it is entirely appropriate to wait and see what she intends to do with the position i do because if she's going to enlist all of these students in you know some sort of uh 1619 type project, but at a different level or different focus. Uh, I, I think we should wait and see if that's her intent. That's just me. I'm not part of the decision making process, but if they wanted to give her a lifetime appointment funded with private money, fine. Again, their money, they get to make that choice. I think it's, uh, it's a knock on their reputation because I'm not a big fan of hers. I think she, I think the work she did and the way she's responded to criticism is not very professional that's just me in my opinion uh, but it's based on uh facts i'll get into that here's a fact uh rowena Patton will get your house sold quickly and for more money this is what she does she and the all-star powerhouse team they outsell 99 percent of the realtors in the state she has been with me from the very beginning since i first came to Asheville back in 2012 and she's been a sponsor of the program ever since when I was on radio and uh, with the podcast. Uh, and I and we are using her to buy our house. OK, so like, I like I've never endorsed another realtor. Um, 
Give her a call at 333-4483. Her phone number, 333-4483. MountainHomeHunt.com is the website. And uh, remember, she's the only official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville, which is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. And this goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees, uh, as well as uh, tenured, lifelong uh, tenured educators. So, uh, well, not even the tenured ones, just all educators. So you keep more of your own money, uh, and she's given back about $800,000 to folks in those professions. Give her a call, 333-4483, buying or selling the only agent that I called, Rowena Patton. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. All right, so why is this hire of Nicole Hannah-Jones um whether it's for tenure or not, like, I don't care. They're arguing she should have tenure, never have to worry about being fired for doing great work. Um, like, I I got questions about why you'd hire her in the first place. It, doesn't, it matters less to me, like, oh, a five-year contract with tenure afterwards versus tenure right away. Like, this is the fight they're, they're having. Uh, when, in fact, the fight should be, why would you hire her in the first place? Um, here's what she says uh, in a, or said in a statement Uh, After her hiring was announced, again, she took the deal. She took the five-year contract and then the tenure to come after. She says, quote, My courses will examine the big questions about journalism, but they will also bring the practical experiences and advice of someone who covered daily beats, who had to fight to be in a position to do big projects, who can speak to the rigors of academic and accumulated knowledge, but also the practicalities of how you build a career, navigate the industry, and deal with setbacks. Okay, Um, here is some of the criticism of uh jones on uh this was back in 2020 october 2020 so not that long ago 21 prominent scholars sent a powerful letter demanding that the pulitzer prize board revoke the prize that it gave to nicole hannah jones for commentary for the essay that launched the 1619 project since the essay's publication the times has retracted one of its central claims and then it's stealth edited the project's website to remove the claim that America's, quote, true founding did not come on July 4th, 1776, with the Declaration of Independence, but rather on August 20th, 1619, with the arrival of the first black slaves. Even worse, Hannah Jones proceeded to act as though she never made the claim in the first place. That's, to me, that's one of the biggest problems here, is when you do something, whether it's commentary or journalism, like hard news, whatever, when you write something, do something, to then turn around and deny that you ever did it once you stealth edit it off of the website, that, to me... uh, that is a disqualifying act for most journalism, uh, I would say, teaching gigs. That, again, just my opinion. The essay was titled, Our Democracy's Founding Ideals Were False When They Were Written. And it false, this is by Jones. And it falsely claimed that one of the primary reasons the colonists decided to declare their independence from Britain was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. The New York Times issued a correction, but it was only after historian Leslie Harris, one of the Times' own fact-checkers, publicly revealed that she had flagged many of these claims as false, and she had done so prior to publication. But the Times did not correct them beforehand. The Pulitzer Prize board 
made a mistake in awarding a prize to Hannah Jones's profoundly flawed essay and threw it to a project that, despite its worthy intentions, is disfigured by unfounded conjectures and patently false assertions. This was the letter written by the 21 scholars to Pulitzer. They said materials had been corrected, quote unquote, without public disclosures. So that's another thing, too. When you make a correction, you need to make uh, uh, make it known that a correction was made. Um, and they say that Hannah Jones falsely put forward claims that she never said or wrote what she plainly did. The offense is far more serious, right? Like that right there, it's again, it's never the it's never the crime or in this case, the mistake, right? It's not the mistake. Um, it's the cover up. That's usually what does you in. This is from a piece, by the way, at pjmedia.com by uh, Tyler O'Neill. And this, again, is from October 2020. The scholars noted, quote, prominent historians, most of them deeply sympathetic to the project's goal of bringing the African-American experience more fully into our understanding of the American past, um, nevertheless felt obliged to point out the serious factual errors, the specious generalizations, and the forced interpretations Hannah Jones did not refute these criticisms, nor did she even meaningfully engage with them. That's another big problem I would submit. When you make this kind of uh, project and then you refuse to defend it from the serious criticisms from the people who know, but instead, what, what do we get? It's like, well, the people who are making these criticisms, you know, they're white. Exactly. Do I need to say anything else? March of 2020, the New York Times finally did acknowledge that American patriots did not seek independence in order to protect slavery, but the correction did not fully uh, fully revoke the false claim. Rather, the altered text still claimed that, quote, some of the colonists, which is classic journalism, classic, some say it's the way reporters get to say the thing that they want to say without actually having to get a quote from somebody that says the thing they want to say. <laughs> so the, so the, some say blah, 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 that I actually agree with. Some of the colonists declared independence in order to protect slavery. A claim, by the way, for which there is no evidence. There's no evidence for that. That's just speculation. It's just an assumption. It's It's made up. It's a fable. It could be true for... Some people, I don't know. I mean, you could you could speculate that maybe some people did, but there's no evidence to support that. So you might as well have said, like, some people wanted to do it because they predicted the rise of the you know Soviet Union and they wanted to have a counterweight to that. Like, you could also make that ridiculous speculation, right? Um, the most devastating non-correction came in September 2020. So again, we're only seven months out from this. When the Times... Uh, on their website for the 1619 Project, removed the notorious claim that 1619 represented America's true founding. Hannah Jones then proceeded to act as though she had never claimed such a thing. But as the scholars noted, the false claims were erased or altered with no explanation, and then Hannah Jones then proceeded to claim that she had never said or written what in fact she had said and written repeatedly, assertions that the project materials also had made. The duplicity, they said, of attempting to alter the historical record in a manner intended to deceive the public is as serious an infraction against professional ethics as a journalist can commit. See, so 
I have concerns about her hiring because of this, because of the journalisming, right? She engages in journalisming. And maybe this is the way that you guys want to run your operation now. This is what you view journalisming to be about. And I use that term very specifically for you know, on purpose. Okay, there is a reason I use this term. And yes, it is mockery. Okay, because what you guys are now engaged in is journalisming. It's not journalism. So I guess maybe on that front, it is precisely uh, the person you want to hire. She is precisely the person <laughs> that belongs in this role. The Times deep-sixed its true founding claim on September 18th, one day after President Trump denounced the 1619 Project in a fiery Constitution Day speech. Uh, he announced that a 1776 commission uh, would be created as a response to the Times' project. Uh, when vandals toppled a statue of George Washington in Portland, Oregon, they spray-painted 1619 on the statue. When Claremont Institute's Charles Kessler wrote in the New York Post, call them the 1619 riots, Nicole Hannah-Jones responded in a delete, uh, now-since-deleted tweet. She responded, quote, it would be an honor. So she was, she was claiming responsibility, affinity for, right, support of the destructive riots. But that's not all. The New York Times published this essay um, in October uh, that was critical of the 1619 Project by Brett Stevens, a writer of the sort that passes for conservative at the New York Times. And he wrote a, a painfully balanced rebuke, Tyler O'Neill calls it at PJ Media, uh, arguing that the project and its founder were not truly anti-American, but admitting that the project and its founder made some serious errors in judgment that ended up dooming the project. Well, the Washington Post then reveals that there was this internal fight Times leadership took great pains to praise the 1619 project that uh, they said, look, Brett Stevens' criticism represented not some sort of institutional scolding of the project, but a commitment to thoughtful debate. But apparently Hannah Jones was livid. She sent vitriolic emails to both uh, uh, Times leadership and Brett Stevens ahead of the publication of the piece. She tweeted that efforts to discredit her work put her in the long tradition of black women who failed to know their places. She changed her Twitter bio to slanderous and nasty-minded mulatress. That's what, she, that's what she called herself. A tribute to the trailblazing journalist Ida B. Wells, whom the Times slurred with those same words in 1894. So, like, she doesn't take criticism very well. Again, you're higher. Good luck with it. Hope it works out. That's a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much. And remember, subscribe to the podcast at thepetecalendarshow.com. We'll talk with you later and don't break anything while I'm gone.